Hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to SFF Addicts. Today's episode of the podcast is an author panel from TBRCon 2022, a virtual literature convention run by FanFi Addicts David Walters with a focus on science fiction, fantasy, and horror. What you're about to listen to is just one of the panels from the convention that I'll be publishing here on the SFF Addicts podcast feed. Mind you, I won't be uploading all of the panels as there are a lot, 24 in total. So if you're aching for more, head over to the FanFiatic YouTube channel to see full video of each and every one. And if you can't catch a panel live, don't worry. They will be available there from now until YouTube's demise. Also, TBRCon is available to stream live every day until January 30th, 2022 on the FanFiatic Twitter account, Facebook page, or YouTube channel. So for more information on the convention, including the full schedule of panels and more, head over to fanfiatic.com slash tbrcon. 2022. I'll also include all links in the show notes for your convenience. All right, now on to the panel. Here we go. Hey everybody, it does say that we are live, so I'm going to go ahead and get started. This is a horror panel for TBR Con, hosted by Fanfi Addict David Walters. Um, this actual panel, we're going to be discussing the modern horror renaissance. Uh, my name is Sadie Hartman. Uh, a lot of people call me Mother Horror on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and I don't do TikTok anymore, so don't even follow me there. Um, I am the co-owner of a horror subscription company called Nightworms. I also review horror fiction for a lot of different platforms, um, Cemetery Dance, Scream Magazine, Lit Reactor, Tor Nightfire, blah, blah, blah. Um, joining me today are a bunch of amazing, talented people that I am so honored to share this panel with. And I'm going to go ahead and just go to clockwise from the way I see you. So um, let's do some introductions, starting with Eric LaRocca. Hi, everyone. Um, it's such an honor to be here on this panel with, with all of you. Um, so my name is Eric LaRocca. Um, I am a horror dark fiction author. I wrote a novella called Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke uh, with Weird Punk Books um, and also a fiction collection called The Strange Thing We Become and Other Dark Tales. Um, and I live in Boston with my partner. Thanks, Eric. And um, next to you is Christina. Hi, I'm Christina. Uh, I'm a horror poet, primarily. Um, I also write a bit of fiction and nonfiction. Um, I'm the author of a collection of nightmares, a collection of dreamscapes, and um, recently this year, um, Lee Murray, uh, Jean Finn, Angela Eureka Smith, and I, um, together and wrote um, Tortured Willows. It's nice to meet all of you. Thank you, Christina. Um, also, we have Andy Davidson. Hi, everyone. Um, <clears throat> I'm the author of In the Valley of the Sun, which was published in 2017. Um, I also wrote The Boatman's Daughter, which came out in 2020. So 
my third book is coming out in October of 2022, and I'm delighted to be here with some of these amazing people that I admire so much. Thanks, Andy. Next to you is Lee Murray. Hi, everyone. Um, yes, my name is Lee Murray. I'm going to try and be coherent because it's 4am here in New Zealand. <laughs> so I'm from Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm a USA Today bestselling author, a Bram Stoker winner, a Shirley Jackson winner. And um, yeah, I think I've written 10 books and about 18 or 19, uh, edited in 18 or 19 um dark fiction and speculative fiction titles. So really excited to be here. It's wonderful to be in this room. Congratulations, Eric and uh, Alan and Christina for making the, you know, Bram Stoker preliminary um, preliminary round yesterday, this last weekend. So it's exciting. Um, so much great. Uh, it's just very exciting to be in this room. So uh, thank you. Hi. Um, oh, go ahead, Ellen. Sorry. Sorry. I'm Ellen Datlow, and um, I'm pleased to be here with everybody. And for me, it's not that early, thank goodness. <laughs> but I do have a um, short story editor. I edit science fiction, fantasy, and horror, but mostly horror these days. And um, I obviously, I've been editing the best horror of the year in some form or another for about 35 years, I guess including my best horror of the young year's best fantasy and horror. Um, I've edited a lot of short story anthologies. My most recent are When Things Get Dark <clears throat> and Body Shocks and the best horror of the year number 13, I think just came out. I'm working on number 14. I also edited um, <clears throat> sorry, novellas for Tour Nightfire and for um, Tour.com. Thanks, Ellen. I will put a plug in there for um, Body Shocks and When Things Get Dark. Those are two of my like favorite anthologies I've read in a really long time. Both Thank of them Thank are you. amazing. And I'm shocked and delighted that, that Body Shocks is actually nominated for the Splatterpunk Award. <laughs> so unlike anything I do or have done. <laughs> It was pretty extreme. I mean, if people are looking for extreme body horror, that was a really well-rounded selection of stories. Thank you. It was yeah. um, So just a little housekeeping. Um, your mute is all the way down at the bottom, your mute button if you need to do that. You can also stop your camera if you need to. Um, I'm basically going to just be asking some questions that I've been kind of ruminating on concerning the horror renaissance. Um, and we can also take questions from the audience. So I'm gonna keep an eye on the chat. I see a lot of uh, people over there hanging out and chatting. So if you're watching, please keep in mind that if you have a burning question pertaining to something that you hear during the discussion or something about horror, the horror renaissance, um, go ahead and drop it in there. And if I see it, I'll be sure to ask. So yeah, let's just jump in. I have um, a fun little icebreaker conversation starter. Um, I am curious if you have had your own personal horror renaissance or if you have been a horror fan steadily your entire reading life. And I will start with um, Christina. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. I think I've been a horror fan since I was five or six, since I watched um, Amityville Horror with my brother. 
and then poltergeists and then it, it never ended really um horror was really huge here it was pretty much um it was a lot of, it was on tv a lot actually for some reason um back in the 80s so um that was all we saw a lot of B grade horror movies and um i just loved them my brother's a big fan as well so um yeah every, almost every other day we'd be watching something on on tv and it would be horror <laughs> and um, when i started reading um it was all the horror books in the in the bookstores as well and um yeah i don't think i've ever stopped there was there was no you know it was it was always a constant for me and where where are you christina you're in singapore yes i'm in singapore yeah so yeah that's been a steady a steady horror diet for you yes <laughs> <laughs> i love that i, stop. I don't think it ever will <laughs> eric what about you yeah, I mean, I've been invested in horror since I was really, really young. It all kind of started with um, like the old classic Universal monster movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon and uh, Dracula, Frankenstein that my mom introduced me to uh, when I was like eight or nine. Um, and it just sort of progressed from there. And I really just became like a student of the genre and um, did everything I could to read as much as possible, watch as many films as possible. And, um, you know, then eventually I came upon uh, really great, like, queer horror works, like by Clive Barker, Michael McDowell. Um, and those pieces, like, really resonated with me, um, you know, not really seeing queer uh storylines queer characters in horror before um and uh yeah I, I mean i don't necessarily think uh i'm you know the queer the horror renaissance uh has it's just been like my whole life like i've really steadily been like a student of the of the genre and i've always just been really in, invested in it thanks eric um lee how about you what what is your horror experience? Yeah, look, you know, I think, I, I, you know, I think I was more of a generous growing up. I sort of read everything, you know, um, and we had probably quite a different sort of range of things to read here in New Zealand. You know, it's sort of a little colony and things come on a ship and it takes a while and you're always the last to get anything. And, um, and, and it's the same right now with the pandemic on, we've got no shipping, so we can't get anything. And so I think, so I think to be honest, I read really widely as a youngster. I read lots of, you know, British fantasy, dark fantasy. And, you know, of course I read the classics, you know, I read Dracula and I read Frankenstein and, you know, I, and I read Catherine Mansfield, you know, some of the darker stuff, um, Janet Frame, some of her stuff is pretty dark. So I, I did read quite widely. Um, and then I sort of, I was always a scribbler and I didn't actually start writing until my when I say start writing, I sort of didn't believe I could do that until, you know, my 40s. So I'm kind of really a late bloomer. And I and I, I got sucked into that whole write what you know thing, you know, sort of you should write what you know, because, you know, it will be more authentic. So, um, so I started, I, I was a marathon runner in the day. So I started with this really breezy sort of little chiclet, you know, it's completely divorced from anything horror at all. And then I realized that, you know, actually, I want to write about the things that matter, 
I want to write about the things that frighten me and, and concern me. And that, that just automatically brings you to just to the horror. It's just, I feel like it's, it's a grown up thing. You know, we grow up and, and we become horror writers because that's the, th that's the important topics that count for us. And so now I'm kind of coming full, full circle and, and lately my writing has sort of exploring, you know, my heritage and sort of some of those things affecting Asian women. And so that sort of, you know, write what you know, it's sort of coming right round full circle. So I want to say that I've always loved dark, dark fiction and horror um, and fantasy in partic particular, although I'm tending more away from that because I was a scientist by profession. So yeah, so I'm. I think I'm probably not like anybody else in that I. I wasn't one of those people reading horror, reading sort of just horror from a very, from a very young age. And in, and as far as films go, I'm a total scaredy cat when it comes to films. Something about a book that I can kind of put down. I don't know, divorce myself from from it. Um, but when it's, I don't know, maybe it's the sound or something, but. I watched the trilogy of terror when I was about 13 and I'm still having night terrors from that. So <laughs> I totally relate to you, Lee, a hundred percent. Ellen, what about you? Well, like Lee, I was a voracious reader. I read everything when I was growing up. Um, <clears throat> but a lot of my reading was horror. I mean, I read um, Lovecraft a lot early on and Harlan Ellison, who's a lot, a lot of his work, I think is horror and um, a lot. I watched Twilight Zone, the original one and um, Night Gallery and One Step Beyond. <clears throat> All the old horror TV things. Um, I've never been into horror movies that much. I mean, I go see some horror movies. Um, I think in a way I relate to Lee that watching them is a little more difficult for me for some of them than reading. Um, but I've been reading everything for years, you know, since I was a kid, you know, I read fantasy. I guess I got more into horror when I was at Omni and I was supposed to be editing science fiction or acquiring it. And I wanted to edit more and I didn't want to conflict with um, with what I was doing at Omni. So I started editing horror anthologies. So that's how I got into editing horror anthologies, although I've always enjoyed horror. Yeah. And Andy? Yeah, my, my parents were um, big, big readers growing up. They were both teachers. And um, mom and dad had a bookshelf full of contemporary writers. And one of the the two, well, the two writers that they loved the most were Koontz and King. And um, I think I was 10 years old. My first memory of reading horror, I may have read it before then and not known what I was reading. But my first memory of reading horror is reading Watchers. It was my mother took it and said, you should read this. You'll like this. And I did. I loved it. And then dad, I remember him reading portions of it <laughs> out loud to me when I was like, I want to say 12, maybe, maybe 10. I'm not sure. It was 85. So I was seven then. So it could have been as early as eight or nine. Um, but I remember the feeling of that opening scene in that book of, of the clown and, and Georgie and the sewer and, and, um, just how terrifying that was. So to me, like those are my entry points. It's very like <laughs> the most boring answer you can give. <laughs> yeah. no. uh, the, the two writers who these days populate, I guess, um, or maybe more so King and Coons populate the horror sections at Barnes and Noble were my entry point. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, no, I totally relate to Andy and Lee, like, so much. And to anyone who said that horror movies are scary, like, I don't watch horror movies hardly at all. I mean, I'll come out for an occasional one, but Hereditary, like, messed me up so bad I haven't really <laughs> jumped into another one since. Um and I will say that my parents were big readers. Well, actually, my mother. My dad is now, but he wasn't then because he was busy working. But my my mom was reading horror, and I would steal her books. But I was more interested in, like, Agatha Christie and John Belair's and um, kind of the lighter side. But once I dipped into horror, uh, it kind of ruined me for everything else, like, I think I became like a junkie for that feeling and it just never, I mean, there's been ebbs and flows. So I think like a huge horror renaissance for me was in 2018 when I discovered indie horror. Um, and I have not looked back. Like I haven't read a fantasy book or any other genre since 2018. Like you guys ruined me. <laughs> so nice. I love it. Um, so let me just say that, you know, when we talk about Renaissance, it's kind of like this revival or resurgence. So a modern Renaissance is, you know, by definition, kind of suggesting that what I just said, that there's been ebbs and flows. Um, and when we were talking about this the other day on Twitter, Ellen, you said that you had been talking about like the golden age of horror for quite some time. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for us? Sure. Um, well, having done the year's best, the best horror of the year for 13 years now, um, first of all, in the last few years, I'd say five years or so, there are many more um, female writers who are, I don't know, I mean, you know, I've been covering the field for a long time, and I do think there are many more female writers now. I'm not sure why that is, you know, but it's... It's fact. Um, there are many more writers from other countries other than North America. Now, first, I remember discovering the um, Australian writers. That, you know, I started working with them, Karen Warren, Terry Dowling, especially um, a long time. He's been around a long time, and um, and then and and in the last five years or so, writers from Singapore, writers from. Um, <clears throat> who are, you know, Priya Sharma, who's British Indian, uh, Usman Malik from Pakistan. Um, I mean, there are tons of new writers from different cultures, horror writers, who, and there are a lot of, there are new horror writers from, um, from, from different countries in Africa, Nigeria. I don't, I'm not as familiar with them as I'd like to be, but to me, those new voices are bringing a whole new dimension to our field. And that's, as far as I can tell, my judgment is that it's been happening in the last five years or so. You know, and I think there's more and better. I mean, you know, I've been covering short fiction for a very long time, and I just find that there's more and better. There's also more and not so good, but you know, <clears throat> um, but there's more short fiction being published all the time. That's really terrific. Nahara. So that's kind of you know, I think it's coming from different cultures and also just. Um, and from, you know, from, um, I'm always going to get a LBGTQ, I'm sorry, I, I, you know, but different, you know, queer fiction. So it's not just from different countries and different cultures, but different points of view. And I think it's great. 
and this has been happening the last several years. I'm not saying it didn't exist before, but I do think it's a huge, oops, I just hit my lamp, <clears throat> a huge influx. And I think that's terrific. I saw a lot of nodding heads. So does anyone want to elaborate on that as well? Any shares for that? Well, I'd like to ask a question of Alan. Do you, do you think that that's because... I mean, obviously there were women writing, but perhaps they weren't being seen. And do you think that's just a little bit more more women in publishing perhaps? Or what do you think is the cause of this sort of explosion of, you know, a, a more diverse group of, of um, writers? About women, I'm not sure, but other countries, the internet. I mean, the, the fact that, okay, I, I really am not sure about the woman thing. That I, I, I haven't been able to kind of really figure it out. I do think there are, my perception is that there are more women writing. But as far as the other thing, the other countries, the internet and email, you know, it used to be you had to send stories in physically and have an IRC. And remember internet? Oh, you don't know. You're too young, all of you. International reply coupons. <laughs> you had to go to the post office, buy them if you were in another country, send them with your manuscript. And then I, as the editor, had to go to the post office and cash them in for stamps. Wow. And that's a real pain in the neck for people who are from other countries, for who other than the United States. So I think email, as far as foreign, well, foreign to me, writers, I think part of that explosion is because of email, because you can just email material now, and it's so much easier and faster, and it makes it accessible for people from outside the United States. But women, I don't know, someone else, take that. I really don't know. <laughs> I wonder if it's because of readership, you know, like we weren't allowed to read these subversive things before, you know, like reading a novel used to be naughty. And now, you know, yeah. I, know. I mean, is it that people, I, I don't know. I mean, is there more of an interest by maybe I am flummoxed. I mean, I'm that is a really interesting discussion that I think I would love to know more opinions about what happened, you know, why there seem to be more women in the, in the field of horror in all positions, you know, yes, as publish as editors, publishers, and writers. Yeah, I don't know, but I do. Well, I was going to say something. No, never mind. <laughs> I was going to say sometimes <laughs> women in publishing uh, horror got slammed for things. You know. Yeah, I was going to kind of say that as well because um, I know that I was invited to write reviews for both Cemetery Dance and Scream right around the same time because they had focused on male voices talking about horror for such a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and they were both seeking to have a woman who reads it a lot. Um, I remember when my editor at Scream messaged me, he, he messaged me on social media and he was like, do you think you're ever going to get sick of reading horror? Is this just like a kick for you? Or, you know, are you going to be doing this for a long time? And I said, no, this is, this is my thing. This is what I'm going to be doing. And then he invited me to write reviews for Scream primarily because he was looking for a woman's perspective on horror. So I mean, I, I do a column for Cemetery Dance, but let's say 20 years ago, there were three, several women who were prominent in the field doing critical work. I mean, to me, the year's best is not critical, that kind of critical, but, and we got slammed by at least one male writer who was upset because we didn't like his work. And he wrote a really nasty thing in a small press. 
um, about us, you know, putting us down for being women or because we didn't like his work. I mean, he couldn't separate the fact that we just didn't like his work, basically. And I think, and I do also remember, um, I don't know if I should bring this up, but um, Terry Winley and I got slammed for having too many women in one of our books. And the fact is we had more men than women in the book, but too many women was like a number of women, you know, the number was too many because it seemed overwhelming, even though we were less than half, they were less than half. So yes, I mean, that's changed over time, but people still get slammed, men and women and queer people and all kinds, you know, and other people from other cultures. Um, the field, not only of horror, but all the, all fields can have some really ugly ugliness in them. Mm-hmm. And people who just are not happy, or who just want to slam things that they don't like, you know, or they don't agree with, shall we say. Mm-hmm. All right, I shouldn't bring up the negative so early. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I actually was going to just keep rolling with questions um, that for the horror renaissance topic, but there are actually some questions that I don't want to get lost over here in the side. Um, so Zach Madness asks, Eric, do you feel that having your books going out of print shortly after or right before publication has hampered your career at all? That's a good question. Um, (laughs) I, you know, I, I personally don't know. I'm hoping not. I mean, it's obviously such an honor to be on the preliminary ballot for the Stokers for a book that's technically you know, not in print anymore. Um, I, I don't really, I, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, my readership will stay with me because uh, we do have some really exciting uh, plans for things have gotten worse since we last spoke um, with a big publisher that just hasn't been announced yet. Um, So I think I, I don't know. I think like the way the internet works, I think like, you know, you can maintain hype and you can maintain, uh, you know, a level of uh, interest in things uh, even, and, you know, publishing works so slow in general to begin with. Um, so I think, I hope that, um, you know, my readers will stay with me and, and enjoy, uh, enjoy the journey because it definitely is a, it's a process and, um I, I just had to make the decision that was that was best for me at the time. Um, but yeah, that's kind of not like a non-answer, but. It's... No, I think it's a good um, leaping off point into um, like the horror renaissance conversation because we can talk about indie publishing and how I feel like that has really revolutionized uh, certain aspects of the industry. Um, Eric LaRocca's book in particular, I got to watch firsthand do some incredible, incredible things. First of all, his cover reveal on social media went viral in like a major way. Um, It was this book here. Um, Things have gotten worse since we last spoke. I watched this cover reveal, like I'm getting chills actually. He posted that and that reveal just went to the far reaches of social media so fast and then um books in the freezer uh sorry remind me of her name again 
I just blanked on Stephanie, it. I think. Stephanie. Right? She yeah. posted that she had a, like, was, did she say that she had, like, a hard time finishing it? Or she just, she said that she, like, it was super visceral for her or something. Yeah. She said something about how this book made her feel a certain way. She had a certain feeling about it on TikTok. And it went viral to the it's tune true. of, like, yeah. thousands of sales this book being an indie book from uh weird punk just a small publisher sold i don't like i looked at goodreads your reviews were like in the upwards of like five thousand yeah we're now at like almost seventeen thousand. that is insane i have never in my life seen an indie book do something like that and that if that's not a resurgence or a revolution or some kind of thing <laughs> i have no idea what is you know like if anybody has any comments on on indie publishing and what that's doing right now for the horror industry i'd love to hear your thoughts well it's the only place that mostly is doing collections i mean there are very few larger publisher and that's been going on a long time and i so i think collections are coming out at coming out of the indie press are really um important you know, I think, and there, and also, as you said, the cover of your book, Eric, is fabulous, and I think that's an important thing. You, it used to be that indie art and production was pretty crappy, you know, mm -hmm. and that's changed over time. I mean, actual professional artists and or people who know how to design books and covers have been getting into the indie production. And I think that's really important for an audience. Yeah. I wonder if it's just the ability of smaller presses and India presses to be a little bit more fluid and, and quicker to react and to respond, you know, and people want to read stories that they're in, you know, they, they want to recognize themselves in a story. So, you know, Eric's got, you know, he's onto something. There is, a, you know, people want to read that. So, so, um, you know, I think that the, the, the beauty of, of indie publishing is that you can get those, they can take a chance on, on the voice, you know, the bigger publishers, you know, if you've got a, if you've got to publish, you know, you've got to print X number of thousands of copies, that's a big risk. And so they want to take a little, they want to walk on the safe side, right? From a business perspective, they need to, they need to, to publish what, what they know will sell. Whereas an indie publisher often can take a little chance and um, they might do print on demand. So, you know, maybe not invest quite so much and put the money towards the marketing side. And so you, you've got an opportunity to, um, to introduce new voices and different types of stories so that everyone gets a chance to see themselves in a book. You know, and I think I think that's what we're looking for now. We're wanting to to, to work through. I mean, horror is really good at working through and processing the things that frighten us. You know, and so, um, or or just escape. And I think that the people are looking for those either an escape mechanism or some way of processing what we're going through, and and putting themselves in the story. And so, you know, Eric just hit on you know just an incredible. Um, you know, an incredible formula. And, and I think lots of indie publishers are doing that. And with Ellen saying, you know, it's, it's in the indie space that people are doing fiction collections and anthologies, which are great for sampling. And, you know, again, it's that low level of investment. You can buy one book and sample 20 fantastic authors. You know, um, I think that that's, that's quite special. And I, and I do find that I think that a lot of it, indie publishing has has opened up you know the way for 
for a bit of a renaissance in terms of the breadth of what we're reading, for sure. You know, it occurs to me that a lot of this too, like Eric is, what happened with this book is proof that the readership is there, that it's always been there for other voices and voices that are not mainstream. So indie publishing is really grabbing onto that. And it's also what we talked about earlier with, with the internet, um, this idea that there's access now to people and images and books and, and things that maybe mainstream publishing had always been the gatekeeper about what was and was not available to read. Um, so that's another case of, I guess, my wife and I have a game where we sort of play, you know, internet good, internet bad, and this would fall into internet good columns. So. <laughs> I'm glad. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Because that's so true. I mean, social media is probably responsible for the way the landscape of how a book is marketed um, happens. Like, when I get an advanced reading copy, usually on the back, it kind of details the social, the, the campaign really for the book. And it will have like various different uh, labels, genre labels. And one of them is LBGTQ, you know, which is amazing. Like, I just, I don't think that that was, I mean, the queer horror is not a genre, it's a representation. Um, and there's a question here, um, let's see, C.S. Humble asked, are there any particular voices of queer fiction, other voices who have launched this new golden age that we could call out and recommend? And I think there are. Um, and I think I, that it's- I have a list. Yeah, I have a list ready. go for it. That would be really I, mean, I mean, obviously like number one on that list would be Haley Piper. Um, I think like, Unfortunate Elements of My Anatomy. Um, it's such a wonderful, wonderful collection of short stories. Um, also Queen of Teeth. I haven't read it yet. I have a beautiful hardcover special edition of it that I'm so, so excited to like break into. Um, Joe Coke is another really awesome uh, transgressive fiction writer. Uh, they wrote The Wingspan of Severed Hands, which is another weird punk novella. Um, that's just like so trippy and just weird and uh, it's just it'll blow your mind um, and I also read an advanced copy of their uh, upcoming fiction collection called Convulsive uh, which uh, Laird Barron I believe like tweeted about a couple weeks ago just how amazing it is I got to write the introduction for that which was such an honor um, and then my last recommendation would probably be David Demchuk uh, who wrote Red X, which is such a fabulous, um, just amazing, amazing, amazing book. It's also on the preliminary ballot for the Stokers. And uh, it just, it really is one of the best novels I've, I've ever read. Um, but I think we really are in like a golden age of queer horror fiction with so many voices uh, just adding, just adding to the inferno of of queer representation in the genre, and it's just so exciting to be a part of this, and you know, be a part of this movement. And um, you know, it's it's indie right now. It's a little bit underground because it's subversive, but I I have this feeling that it's going to eventually break into 
like bigger publishing houses. And I feel like, I mean, even um, watching Felker Markin, Martin uh, with Manhunt that's coming out through Poor Nightfire. I mean, that is, I also read that book recently and uh, blurbed it. And I mean, she's just absolutely incredible. I really feel like we are entering an age where queer horror fiction is like on shelves in bookstores and it's not something you have to really like go out of your way to search for. Does anyone else have any other comments about that? I mean, I've especially well, noticed it in YA fiction too. Well, totally. I, would, I would give a shout out to, of all things, like my local Barnes and Noble. Um, I have a, I teach classes as well. And, um, uh, I had a student in one of my creative writing classes who got a job there and over the course of the summer um, overhauled their entire section and she herself is gay. And so there is this amazing um, variety and diversity of voices in that section of the Barnes and Noble in Macon, Georgia. So I think, like, Eric, that's where we got your book. In fact, um, my wife and I were there and she she was like, look at this. I love this book. And she was talking about yours. And that's how I found out about it for the first time. So, wow. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's happening um, out in the world, in the real world, and it's translating into bookshelves and stores. I mean, just speaking about the the Barnes and Noble uh, horror section, like we've always been complaining about how there was never a section and now there is. And I think that's due largely in part to the fact that like, where else are they going to put it? It's like, it's so much, you know, like at this point you have like Stephen Graham Jones and Josh Mallerman and Paul Tremblay and like, you know, Alma Katsu, like get these books are just coming out all the time and it's like are you just going to keep shelving that in general fiction like what how where are you going to have room for 20 copies of the only good indian you know it's like they're, they're they finally realize like we need a dedicated space and it can't just be the king and coon section you know it has to be it has to be involving these like broader selections i mean grady hendrix has a huge selection cork books has you know like books coming out every month like they have to make room for it right That's i i think what you said earlier though about you know it's really it's it's really a young co cohort coming through too isn't it and i read for for the the bram stokers a couple of years ago in the ya um jury and and just about everything and it's anything goes in YA right you know it seems to me that that's in a really experimental phase and and young people are really soaking the stuff up and I, I you know particularly in sort of transgender issues and those kinds of things were very prevalent in in the last few years in those in those sections of uh, you know it's, I really recommend hitting hit, hitting all of the awards as better punk and the stokers and for the, for, for places to discover people you know um there's some 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 great you, you know if you haven't if you haven't read if you see a name come up and you haven't yet read it that's a great place to discover them um and the long lists because there's plenty of them you know the, the breadth is fantastic but definitely the, to me i think the young adult space is a place where you know i mean 
you know, horror is already subversive. You know, it's already a little bit, a little bit off center, and I and the and the kids love that. And so I always think that they're sort of they're sort of one step ahead of us on on what's coming and what's big. Um, and so if you have a look at the sort of YA list, you really see what the trends are, and and they very strongly. Um, you know, looking for representation and, and looking to recognize themselves in stories. There's a great talking point here by Catherine McCarthy, um, referring to what Ellen said about there being more women horror writers from my own perspective, broadening the umbrella of what constitutes horror mm -hmm. has really helped. Um, and I love that comment because I find that that's true too. I mean, you have a lot of readers who still think, well, it didn't scare me, so it's not horror. But I think the conversation is broadening. What do you think, Christina? I think that um, looking back uh, 20 years ago, um, there weren't as many women writers. Ellen, you're right there, I think, in terms of visibility. And um, I think the internet has a lot to do with it. Even me, when, when I was submitting back, okay, let's not count the years. Back <laughs> then, <laughs> I did use IRCs. I did go to the post office to buy them for 250 each and put them with my typed envelopes, uh, typed uh, stories and poems and send them out and, mm -hmm. you know, waited a few weeks or months for replies. So um, it's changed a lot since then. And I think it's also in terms of the time scale where we can, um, you know, um, send and receive our submissions. Mm -hmm. And um, being, so, being so far from, you know, everywhere else, Singapore, um, it, it felt very, um, I won't say isolating, but it just felt like I was, you know, kind of far away and not quite a part of, of everything else. And yet, you know, with, with um, forums like the Rumor Mill back then, um, you know, we would post our, our submissions, rejections and everything. And it was a bit of a community there and I really felt like I belonged there. So, um, and I, I did notice that um, since then, internationally, we've really opened out globally, you know, and I think Me Too really gave women a voice and more of us are willing to um, talk about a lot of, you know, the things that have affected us or, or the things that we see. And um, one of the key points is um, heritage, which, you know, Lee and I and um, Jean and uh, Angela tapped. And, you know, with Asian societies, you were usually very reticent about you know all these stories but um it felt like the right time to tell them i guess you know as as difficult as they were so yes and with tech things <laughs> um and so i i think that it's also us women coming out to write more about our stories writing our stories writing stories about you know um the, the people we know, the lives that they've led as well. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel a change, like, you know, since from, from 20 years ago, that the stories we told were very different than, I mean, mine was sanitized. They were, were 
written for an international audience. Uh, whereas for the first time in, in Tortured Willows, I've actually written something about my heritage and you know my, my country's history. So that's something very different, I guess. That's, you know, um, there is an openness and an acceptance to, to such stories. And I think the reception was very encouraging. And I think with, with every bit of encouragement, more women will come out and, and tell the stories that, you know, are inside them. So, um, yeah, I, I know it's not just, it's not just us, it's, it's um, women from other countries as, as well who are probably a lot more reticent about, you know, writing and, and talking about um, their very, um, their, their stories from there. Whereas everything else we've read I, I grew up reading In It Blyton and I thought, you know, the perfect childhood was running around the countryside solving mysteries with my <laughs> friends, <laughs> with my little dog. <laughs> um, yeah, and, um, and when, I, when I was growing up as a teenager, I, wrote, I, I read um, American stories. Um, Dean Coons was one of my favourites. And it was pretty much all whatever we could get from the, you know, the bookshelves because there was no Amazon or... or there's no internet then. I think I'm revealing my age here, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so yeah, uh, and we had we had secondhand bookshops who had um, very different distributors. So the more indie books I got were from there, whereas you know at the more conventional books we had King. If we were lucky, we had one or two Coons. Um, we had John Saul. And um, I think that was it. I got, I discovered Clive Barker in the secondhand store. And, oh, I, I loved him. And he was, his stories were just so mind-blowing. Pi was one of my favorite characters. <laughs> so, um, it, it, you know, it's all, all these little places that we get our stories from. And, you know, and eventually at some point, we will tell our stories as well. So, you know, that's, that's just a, a perspective from this girl from an island somewhere in the tropics. <laughs> and, uh, I love that, uh, Christina. Yeah. <laughs> I've noticed, too, that publishers are just being, like, more um, intentional about making sure that they're including people. Um, I know now that, like, Ellen, would you agree that, like, when publishers are putting together anthologies and or an editor um to make sure that there's a lot of diversity it's not just like it's pretty taboo to release a collection with all a bunch of white guys right yes but it still happens <laughs> yeah, i've seen it <laughs> yes but i think people are more mindful of it and um i think that's really good news yeah i think um I'd say most publishers and editors are trying to diversify their tables of content, if possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with access to just so many voices. Oh, I'm sorry, Lee. Go ahead. No, I was I was just going to go back to Catherine's comment about broadening the perspective. You know what what we call horror. You know, and and it is. <laughs> You know, we, we obviously, we can go all the way to from, you know, unease to all the way to body horror, for example. And I think, but I think Christina made a good point about, you know, there being more women and we're talking about women's stories and the things that frighten us and the things that affect women. But also I think if you think of geography and, um, you know, 
I live, I live on the shaky aisles. You know, we, we just felt that massive, massive um, uh, eruption in, um, in New Zealand from 2,400 kilometers away in Tonga. Um, and, you know, for us, you know, tsunami and, and, and eruptions and, you know, they're, they're a big part of our everyday life. I think there are something like 100 every day in New Zealand. So for us, that's a sort of simmering tension. So what frightens you depends on where you come from and how you've lived. Um, you know, the, the fact that there's this big research, you know, well, research this, this new wave of LGBTQ um, horror is because, you know, that that fear has been sort of sitting there quietly. It's not like it hasn't been there, but it's simmering away and it's it's concerning. And now we have a place for it. We have a voice for it. You know, um, these the indie, you know, the indie um, world has opened, opened these opportunities. So I think, yes, I, Catherine is dead right. We need to broaden what we consider horror. And so it isn't just North American horror. You know, it isn't just gothic horror. There, there are there are so many other cultures and lifestyles and and geographies and and types of things that that frighten people that we are just now discovering. You know, indigenous you know concerns, horrors that 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 haven't been spoken about. And and Tina, uh, Christina said taboo, and I think that that. That is a really important word because horror has been taboo and it just and because we're in this really exciting space where because it's horror we can write it you know we can write it it's just, that's so freeing isn't it that we <laughs> we're the people who can write that you know it's not out of bounds um and and ellen just saying how how exciting it was you know how the the body horror um anthology was accepted and you know you would not have been able to write that you know 20 or 30 years ago and and, and, and certainly not with women in it, you know, women writers. And so we're open to that. I just think it's very freeing when we actually broaden our perspective of what is horror, because what frightens people is different. It's different for, depending on, you know, where you, where you live. I mean, honestly, if you're a battered woman, for example, home is the most frightening place, you know? And so, I just think that the scope is so huge and that is why I think there's a resurgence because we're aware now, you know, there are things we there are things that we actually can come out and say. Yeah. And, and there's also to, to be a little more simplistic when you talk about what's considered horror and what isn't. I mean, there's some people who for years will say psychological horror, terror fiction is not horror, you know. So that means psycho is not horror. That means the silence of the lambs isn't horror. And so, you know, some people have had their blinkers on and they won't accept, well, and sometimes, and also not all ghost stories are horror. Some ghost stories are very moving and, and are not horror at all. It depends on the tone. So a lot of, you know, as I said, this is much more simplistic than what you're saying, but just saying, well, this is horror and this isn't, it depends on your reaction, on the reader's reaction to it, I think. I think too over the years mainstream horror has been very like looking at like the big five publishers ever since Silence of the Lambs um which was what 1990 somewhere in there um like one of the reasons we started seeing the decrease in horror in the mainstream is that uh 
publishers started calling it something else, you know, uh, psychological suspense or supernatural thrillers even. Um, and that's persisted until very recently, even among certain publishers. Um, I think Tor Nightfire is doing a lot to sort of shape the landscape right now in terms of horror in the mainstream. Um, but even like, I know my publisher just said when the boatman's daughter came out, they were very hesitant to call it horror because they wanted it to reach a wider audience. Um, but now two years later, uh, as the copy for my next book gets written, the word horror is right there in big letters at the top. So there's a shift, but, but mainstream horror is independent. Independent publishers are more nimble than the, the big titanics that have to turn slowly. Yeah. Um, do you guys think that fiction follows uh, film or film follows fiction? I mean, they tend to go together since <clears throat> a lot of movies are based off of the, the books. And so do you think that the popularity of horror in film has changed? I mean, I know like, I know that like, you know, in some cultures, the horror films are are way more applauded than than other genres of of film. But here, don't you think that um, I don't know? It's different indie again, making bigger waves at the box office influences what what we can do publishing wise. No, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think once you start talking about film, it overwhelms text. So there's always that danger that I think a lot of when um, what not I guess flatter horror I mean there was a, you know what is it called um, torture porn you know that kind of like stuff. extreme um, that might have had a negative influence on text I'm not sure or people were I think when that got really hot with Eli Roth and his work it made everyone think of the, it made people who are not into horror think that's what horror is. And I think that was kind of negative for the field because mm -hmm. that's not what horror has to be. And I think you, so you say horror to someone and they freak out. It's like, oh no, I don't want to watch that. I don't want to read that because it's like that. Yes. So sometimes it's negative. I mean, it, it's a loop. <laughs> feedback loop. I, I've just noticed like on Netflix though I mean lot, a lot of the most popular shows are horror That's it what just seems about. so much more accessible and so much more digestible and people are just like into it more again they're more nimble the independent the TV studios I think are more nimble than the movie studios I don't know if they cost less to make or not but definitely there's um on television or what we call or video, whatever, um, things move faster than in making movies. And I think too, horror has always been in film uh, successful. Like no matter what form it takes, whether it's you know something like paranormal activity, like found footage movies, or that are really cheap to produce or whether it's The Shining, you know, I think financially horror is a good bankable thing in the film industry. Um, and, you know, it's often said that's because it's like pretty low budget, uh, it's easy to make one location. Uh, you can build a pretty cheap script around 
a horror uh, movie around a horror script. Um, you know, but books, I don't know if I would say books always go deeper, but books definitely are more of an interactive experience, maybe. It may not be the right word, but they, you know, you can be shown images and react to them in a film, but then with a book, you you, you have to create you create the images in your head, yeah, as you read the, the words on the page. And so there's more of a participation there, maybe, rather than just a reaction. And so I think with books, it's always going to be a trickier um, genre to, to be successful um, because of that, maybe, because of the ick factor, I guess, you know, for mm -hmm. lack of a better term. I don't know. Mm -hmm. but. Um, I do want to emphasize our host, David, says, I think a huge piece of the puzzle for authors and even publishers are reviewers, bloggers, book talk, bookstagram, shouting from the rooftops about books and having those shouts become threads to reach new readers is massive. Plus having authors on social media and interacting with readers is a big, big bonus. Um, which again, social media has been like a huge contributor to the popularity of the genre. Um, I know that when I first started on Bookstagram, um, I kind of was just being well-rounded. Like my username was Sadie reads them all. And I did, I read a lot of fantasy and sci-fi and just like all this stuff. But then I started noticing that there was this other universe of people who are just talking about horror. And that seemed to be my tribe. Um, so I think like tribal genres on social media is largely influential. Like if I see somebody post a book, I want it and I want it now. <laughs> it's very viral. What do you guys think about social media? Like, do you utilize social media for your, um, for kind of like helping build your audience or do you think that it's not? really necessary i don't know if it's necessary but it's useful you know, some right. people aren't comfortable with it and i wouldn't want them to force themselves to do it because they'll be miserable i think for for people like christina and i who are way out you know in little islands in the, in the middle of you know the ocean a long way away from where a lot of our readers are you know without social media we just wouldn't be visible so we're very lucky to be able I mean just just being able to do something like this and and have and be visible is is huge you know um so so I think that's really opened up a lot of opportunities for us in fact we were saying I was on a panel with some Australians yesterday and we were just saying you know that that is kind of leveled the playing field for us over this pandemic you know we've always been stuck out in the middle of the ocean yep. Um, and nobody's seen us. And now everybody's kind of stuck home in their living rooms, you know, so we're all a bit isolated. And so the pandemic has kind of, you know, just made social media so much more important. And, and uh, you know, we can put this up on YouTube an hour from now and anyone who, you know, wasn't awake can still watch it, you know. And so the time aspect is important too, you know. We can't do a book launch, you know, at the same time as you're, you're having the book launch and, 
you know, we can't get to America. Every time I come to America, it costs me several thousand dollars, you know. So, so it, it's, it's, you know, it's a big investment. But whereas getting on social media is a really quick thing to do and very distracting and takes up way too much time. But, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm one of the, I'm terrible. I'm only on Facebook because I'm old. Well, I'm actually on Twitter and everything, but I just can't operate Twitter and I'm really hopeless at operating Instagram. And so, you know, I find that one thing, do one thing well as opposed to 20 things badly. So definitely won't be seeing me on TikTok because you know, I can't sing and dance. It's <laughs> um, We are at our one hour mark. So I did want to make sure that, I know we could talk about this for a long time. Um, I did want to make sure that we gave plenty of opportunity for you guys to share what you're currently working on um, and to promote um, anything that you want um, everybody over here chatting on the side to and who will watch later. Um, to know about what you're doing currently. Um, so we'll go ahead and go in the reverse order this time. Ellen, um, is there anything that you want to um, share, what you're working on, what you're proud of, what's going on in your life? Sure. I'm working on, well, right now I'm handed in um, Screams from the Dark, uh, which 29, you might know the title, one of me, uh, 29 Tales of, Monsters and the Monstrous, I think it's called Tour Nightfire, and that's going to be a big Yay. horror anthology on um, about monsters and the monstrous, and it's coming out from Tour Nightfire June seventh, I believe. I don't have the cover; I have an arc, but it doesn't have the cover. You can Google the cover; it's really cool. <clears throat> um, I have several novellas that I edited for acquired edited for Tour.com, including this one. Sadie knows this. That's yeah. It's coming out, I think, in April. It's by um, Malcolm Devlin, and it's, I guess you'd call it, I don't know, science fiction horror. I mean, it's about misinformation, zombies or not zombies, and it's terrific. It's a novella. And then yeah, I, wrote, I just got that. The cover's great. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. It's Samuel Araya, Araya who I love his work. And um, I've got two other, three other novellas coming out from Tor. I won't talk about the science fiction and fantasy ones, but I've got another horror one coming out from Mary Rickert in this September <clears throat> called Lucky Girl and a Krampus Story, How I Became a Horror Writer. And it's about, it's a Krampus story, you know? So Krampus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty horrific. It's horrific. When I get an arc of that, Sadie, you'll get that. Yay, thank um, you. And then, of course, the year's best, as always. I'm working on number 14 right now. And hopefully I'll be finished by, well, I have to hand it in like March 1st. So, and then that's it. I think that's it. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> well, and I'm about to sell an anthology that I can't talk about. <clears throat> uh, someone asked about body shocks. Uh, there was a question there. Someone had mentioned if I felt, I think it was if I felt that body shocks um, has brought me a new audience or something like that. Um, or oh, yeah, I saw that too. It was something about you mentioning about it winning. Um, it, no, not being nominated. Ladder Punk Award. Yes. Um, well, I, I remember it was more or less, you know, do I feel that it broadened my audience? No. Yeah, that's exactly what he asked. Yeah. I mean, for that book, it's not my usual thing. I think people, what the good thing about it, and that some reviewers have said, how come we moved around? But anyway, <laughs> we just. Sorry, moved. I accidentally, uh, I was going to press chat, then I pressed. <laughs> oh, it's okay. By accident. <laughs> I'm glad you got right back in. It has been, it's brought together a bunch of writers who are not known for writing Splatterpunk, 
Some have been and some haven't been known. And so I think people who read Splatterpunk and love it and body horror will read my, have been aware of my anthology and will pick out those writers who, but the thing is those writers don't always write that kind of work, body horror. So they may be disappointed in the future if they pick out the writers, you know, and say, oh, I'm going to read this person because she's in that book. And it's like, oh, but that's not body horror. So I don't know. I mean, that book has got a broader audience. If it will bring a broader audience to the writers in the book or to me, I don't know. I doubt it. <laughs> Thanks, Ellen. Looking forward to all of your stuff. Um, Eric, what about you? What are you working on right now? So currently I'm working on a novel um, that I'm hopefully uh, going to sell uh, with my agent. Um, and other than that, I have a novella coming out with Journal Stone uh, called We Can Never Leave This Place. We revealed the cover art the other day. Um, so you can go check that out on my Twitter. Um, and then I also have uh, really exciting news that I can't like reveal just yet. Um, but uh, Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke is going to be published in a big collection uh, through a major publisher in September. That's all I can say, really. Um, but definitely keep an eye out for that. And I'm really excited about it. I will say that I copy and paste your pinned tweet where you talk about that, like on Reddit, like multiple times a day, because people go, where can I get that? And then I just tell them. So yeah, yeah. Keep I've, that there. <laughs> keep I get a there. lot of emails and a lot of DMs. Uh -huh. but yeah. <laughs> Christina, what are you working on? Um, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, okay, I, I've had a novel I've been working on for about 10 years, I kind of put it aside, threw it out. Um, and I, I think I've, I've finally put it in Scrivener. And uh, I'm slowly working on it. But that's the structure. I know the ending. And it's probably going to be three parter. And um, it, it spans quite a long time. So it's probably going to take me just as long to write it. Um, so that's the big project that will take a while. Um, I plan to start compiling my third uh, a collection of um, poetry series, poetry, poetry collection, <laughs> um, pretty soon. Um, I don't know if I have enough poems to put it together, but um, this one will be a themed themed collection um actually they're all themed um but yeah uh so that that should be completed by this year i hope and um and then i'll send it to my publisher and see when when that's gonna happen um i also plan to work on a bit more fiction this year uh which hopefully will tie in with the novel because i i mean i always feel that my fiction is still very new and raw and I can can always improve on it. So I'm gonna work on that this year. Thank you. We're looking forward to all of that. Um, Andy, what do you want to promote? What do you, we heard about your new novel, so. Yeah, it's called The Hollow Kind. It's coming out in October from MCD. Um, uh, that's done. So I don't have, I mean, it's just, in, it just finished copy edit. So right now I've been enjoying this kind of uh, spring of my my post MFA many years ago writing career of actually returning to writing short stories again because the joy was destroyed uh, in in the writing program for writing short stories so it's 
it's coming back and I'm enjoying it. So I've been working on some stories. I've got um, one coming out in Doug Morano's new Bad Hand Books collection, which I think, Christina, are you, you're in there as well, right? Uh, are, are you in that one? Okay. <laughs> Lee, Lee is. Lee. Yes. I knew someone here was. Um, and so, yeah, so that's really it right now. I mean, just sort of the run up to the next book. I'm kind of waiting to see what that's going to be like. So excited for that. And Lee, what about you? What are you uh, working on? What am I working on? Right now I'm actually working on a film project. Um, obviously, you know, with film you can't say anything until <laughs> you can say something. So I really probably shouldn't say anything about that, but it's very exciting. Um, and um, I'm working on a, a collection of um, essays, essays, um, memoir essays are called Unquiet Spirits, which will come out from Black Spot Books um, in 2023. So the way publishing works, we're getting on and doing that now. So that's quite some time away. Um, I've got a collection coming out with a Silver Shamrock at the end of the year, I think, and a novella with uh, Crystal Lake Publishing in their new Dark Tide series, novella series. Um, so I'll be, I've got one coming in a collection of war stories with uh, Angela Eureka Smith and Maxwell Gold. Uh, um, Probably lots of other things, but I, I'm quite a slow writer. You know, I don't write more than three or four hundred words a day. So I, you know, I, I'm honestly a, I'm one of these people that sort of have eyes bigger than my stomach, really, and you know, want to do all the projects and don't have any time. I know I've got um, in another in another couple of weeks, I've got I mean, I've, I'm convening the mentor program for the New Zealand Society of Authors, so I'm expecting sort of a thousand manuscripts to come across, and it's kind of exciting. Ellen will will you know agree with this it's really exciting to get new manuscripts across you and it's also tedious because some of them are horrible but mostly they're good and um and but it's really exciting to have you know play a part in shaping shaping um you know new writers and new careers and so I'm really looking I always look forward to that and sort of getting a sneak peek at what's coming from in New Zealand literature and and that's of course across the board it's not just just horror so um yeah, that's, I think that's, oh, um, I've got, I'm supposed to be finishing a poetry collection and um, yeah, I, I won a residency for that last year that kind of sort of didn't happen because of COVID. So I'm, I really need to get that finished and, uh, and uh, so I suspect that will be, um, it's the first draft done, so that will probably be towards the end of the year. End of the year. So many so, exciting yeah. things. I love it. <laughs> Katie, Katie, what are you up to? Um. So I am editing um, with with Ashley, my my co the co owners we're co owners of Nightworms. Um, we're editing an, an anthology about human monsters. Um, so the submission call for that um, we we announced, and then it actually officially opens on February fifteenth. So I have seen a lot of authors saying that they're working on something, which makes me really excited. I can't wait to start reading stories for that. Um, and I also am in tandem working on a novella series called My Dark Library with Cemetery Gates. And I'm looking for novellas from fresh voices in the industry. Um, and I really like I kind of view horror as um, almost like I get to go inside of like an unexplored area and start digging around for something very exciting, like a little gem or a treasure. Um, so I'm really looking forward to reading some stories from, 
you know, maybe people who have been too scared to submit before or like authors who are trying to get outside their brand. Like I keep running into authors who feel trapped in their genre. Like maybe they write splatterpunk and their audience just really wants more of that, but they kind of want to get into more like literary horror. Um, so I'm just looking for people who want to tell a new story and I want to give it a platform. So there's going to be like six to eight novellas coming out through Cemetery Gates um, that I get to pick. And I'm I'm over the moon about it. I'm really excited. So that's what I'm working on. Well, you know what? It was so, so nice to spend this morning with all of you and see your smiling faces and hear from you about the industry that we get so excited about and spend time in together. Um, I really just love spending time with you guys today. It has been fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank, thank you, you to everyone who came Our in the host. audience. It's lovely to see some friends' names. Yes, in there, so. I love that. It was so much fun, yeah. And thank you so much, David, from FanFee um, Addict, uh, the TBR Con. Thank you for having us here today.